Hello, welcome to our podcast and thank you for listening. My name is Elizabeth and I'm the founder of the Intuitive Writing Project, a writing-based empowerment program for girls and gender expansive youth. We are dedicated to giving young women a safe, encouraging, non-critical, unconditionally supportive space to write their story, speak their truth, and assert their voice, both as writers and as individuals. I created this program 11 years ago because it's what I wanted and needed when I was young, a safe place to be truly seen and heard. That's why we use the Amherst Writing Method, a radically nurturing and empowering writing methodology I wish everyone learned in school. You can read more about the Amherst Method on their website and in Pat Schneider's groundbreaking book, Writing Alone and with Others. But the basic principles and the ones that guide all our classes are that, one, everyone is a writer with important stories to tell. Two, everyone has their own unique voice, a voice that needs to be heard. And three, our voice will grow stronger and clearer the more it is supported and positively affirmed. The way we affirm our writers is to repeat back and lift up the words, lines, phrases, or concepts that really resonated for us. In the classroom, everyone writes together, everyone shares their writing, and then everyone gives each other grounded, positive feedback. Since we can't violate the sanctity of our classes by recording what goes on there, these one-on-one conversations are designed to provide a little glimpse, a microcosm of what happens in the classroom. You can also read about our work and read the girls' words as they were published on our blog, The Intuitive Voice, with the links below. If you enjoy listening to one young writer read their words and talk about it, imagine how powerful it is when six young writers are reading their words and giving each other positive, affirming feedback. It's pretty life-changing, and there's a lot more I could say about it, but I'll let these young writers speak for themselves. On behalf of all the writers at the Intuitive Writing Project, I want to thank you in advance for supporting the stories of young women. Making the time to be present and really listen to girls, listen to the wisdom, insight, and brilliance of each girl is how we change the world. Thank you for supporting the voices of young women. Today, I'm so honored and excited to be interviewing our brilliant writer, Erin Hambidge, who will be reading a really relevant poem, even though it was written several months ago. Um, Before we begin, I wanted to have Erin introduce herself. If you could tell us your pronouns, your grade level, and then a little anecdote about your first memory of writing. Of course. So hi, guys. I'm Erin, and I'll be graduating high school in May, so actually just three weeks away. And I use she, her pronouns, and... So my first memory of having written a story would be fifth grade. Um, I had Miss Anoni, who is absolutely wonderful. And she basically gave us a passion project. So we had a couple of days a week to focus on something that we were interested in or something that we like to do. So, you know, it was like photography and writing and it was kind of all over the map and I wanted to write a book and so even though I never finished the book um I did start it and I got to read it to my class once a week that is 
incredible that even at that age, at 10 years old, you had that vision of being a writer and writing a book. And what was the book about? So it was about a teenage spy named Willow. (laughs) I love that. And did you actually finish it? Like, did you manage to get to the end? Because it's hard to finish a story like that. I don't think that I did. In fifth grade, my uh, my attention span movie wasn't as long as it is now. So I remember I was doing like illustrations. Um, I had the idea for a title page, but I don't know that it was ever longer than like 30 pages. That's so cute. I wish we could have you read from that as well. That would have been really cool. Um, <laughs> do you still have it? A copy of it? Somewhere, yes. Okay. Keep it in a fireproof box because you're going to want to read that when you're older and you will probably be amazed at your talent at age 10. I'm sure I will. (laughs) You will be. You will be when you get older. Um, So for today, I wanted you to read the poem that you wrote actually this past summer. It was the class we had right after the 4th of July. And you wrote about it was um, we had been talking about what happened with the shooting in Highland Park, Illinois, and you wrote a poem and it's about gun violence. And I just want to preface it by just to give everyone context. As of this recording on May 11th, there have been 202 mass shootings in 2023, which is more shootings than there have been days in the year. So this piece, even though it was written back in July, um, in 2022, it's as relevant, if not more relevant than ever. And it's so beautiful. If you would um, begin your piece, happy 4th of July. Firework or firearm, red, white, and blue explode across the sky. Colors of mourning for a country riddled with bullets. Land of the free, home of the brave, our strongest soldiers are school children armed with clear backpacks and the fear that one day shelter in place will not be enough. Empty buses, empty classrooms, AR-15s are free because education is the price we pay. There will be no next time, but next time is today, tomorrow, and the day after that. The flag stands at half mast. Soon it will fall, buried under a million futures never realized, a million gunshots never stopped, A million promises never kept. An anthem of triumph for a country of tragedy. How dare you kneel, how dare you shed a tear. Stand up and pray for your country. Clasp hands for the lost souls, the victims of the violent American dream. Sing not for stars and stripes, but for families who never said goodbye. Enough is enough, but it goes on, on, on. Turn off the news, mute the TV. What's one more name? The list is too long to see. Pack the picnic blankets, the hot dogs, the extra extra napkins. When fireworks echo, so do shots. Happy 4th of July, America. Oh my God. Hearing it again, I mean, I've read it a couple of times, but hearing you read it in your voice, especially in the context of what's going on in the world right now gave me goosebumps. This is such a powerful piece. What's so, I think, most potent about it is that the language is so simple. It almost feels like a children's story, but it's every word is loaded with meaning. And of course, the 
theme is very deep. Um, couple lines that jumped out at me that are, they're all beautiful, but I loved the line, our strongest soldiers are school children armed with clear backpacks. Oh my God. I mean, again, simply said, but loaded with meaning and um, really it should be, I wish every adult in the world could read this piece, especially the people who are who don't want to ban guns because this is the wisdom of a young person recognizing a serious problem that needs to be resolved by the people in power. Um, and of course this incredible, oh my God, this is what gave me goosebumps that um, it's buried under a million futures, never realized a million gunshots, never stopped a million promises, never kept because of course it kind of feels like it has been a million and, it's going to continue to exponentially increase. I love also the line, um, an anthem of triumph for a country of tragedy. Oh, it's so poetic. Um, and then the line, clasp hands for the lost souls, the victims of the violent American dream. And that's something, I'll pause for a minute to, to talk about this line the violent American dream. That's something that we talked about in class and something that comes up so often is that somehow violence is inextricably linked with this dream fantasy of what we think America should be. And that's why this is so potent that it's happy 4th of July is the name of the poem. It's such a great satire. Um, I wanted to ask you about when you were beginning this poem or... Now, let's go back even further. Whenever we have um, a discussion in class and then we have prompts, I always give everyone some options. And then I also say, write about whatever you want. You can always write whatever's up for you right now, fiction, nonfiction, whatever you need to write. Were you, did you know when you started writing in upfront that you would be writing about this or did it just sort of emerge? And then tell us a little bit about the process for you of writing yeah, so it was on my mind, of course, but I think when I sat down to write, it definitely wasn't at like the very forefront of my mind. And it was actually one of those days where I was like, this this is the day where I don't have anything to show the class. Um, and I was thinking about the 4th of July because I don't remember if it was coming up or maybe it had happened. I can't remember the exact date. And I, the irony is, I think I originally set out to write something about the 4th of July that was maybe like a little nostalgic, almost like a happy short story. Mm. And it kind of just went there almost as soon as I started writing. And it's it's easier, I think, to write about something that really hits home emotionally. Because it was like once I started writing about this one event like this one shooting that was on my mind you know I had a friend who was in Chicago like a couple blocks away at the time it kind of I think just like tapped into the larger kind of current of like anger and sadness that has existed among high schoolers and their families for a really long time and just the idea that like the burden of protection kind of falls to students and teachers and their families 
and you brought up the clear backpack line, but it's like, it's so hard when I think about that because I get it. I get why school districts do it, but all these little things, it's like the clear backpacks and shelter in place drills. And it's like things that can do so much good, but it's like, it's just a reminder. It's so twisted that it's sort of just become this normal thing that like, oh, of course you have metal detectors and clear backpacks. There was that line about the shelter in place I wanted to talk about too, um, that the fear that one day the shelter in place will not be enough. And AR-15s are free because education is the price we pay. I was gonna ask you if you had shelter in, do you guys still have shelter in place drills? Yeah. yeah. How often? So usually, well, so like we classify a emergency drill, like it could fall under fire, earthquake, or like on-campus threat. I don't know if that's the right wording. So I would say most often we have drills for like a natural disaster. Like what do you do if there's an earthquake or there's a fire? And so like, we'll all go out onto the field. But I would say like very rarely we do practice what to do if there's... And they never, they never say like, if there's a shooter on campus, but I mean, it's implied. I think that's what would happen most times if we were in that situation. And so, you know, we like close the windows and sit under our desks for, you know, three or four minutes. Oh my God. That is so horrifying. It also reminds me of, um, I managed to miss, fortunately, miss both of those terrifying um, generations, the generation before me had during the Cold War had um, nuclear war drills where they hid under their desk as mm -hmm. if that would have protected them. And then your generation is hiding under your desk um, in danger of gun violence, which of course that also is not going to, uh, hiding under one's desk is so um, futile in the face of this horror. But just have, making you go through those motions, I feel like the way it normalizes it and makes it like, this is just part of life. It's part of what you captured in this piece, the normalization of violence. And I think that's where some of the brilliant satire or sarcasm comes in. How dare you kneel? How dare you shed a tear? Um, <clears throat> sing not for stars and stripes, but for families who have never said goodbye. And then I love, I think there's so much, this is the voice of your leadership and the leadership of your generation saying enough is enough. Like this is ridiculous. And then of course there's such excellent repetition and right after enough, after enough is enough. And then, but it goes on, on, on. And I should note that on each on is on its own line. Um, listeners can see the link to this piece on our blog and see how it's written. The on, on, on just really captures the tedium of this uh, tragedy that we could prevent, but are sadly choosing not to. The list is too long to see. And then of course, the very end goes back to what you were saying at the beginning about wanting initially to write something nostalgic, that pack the picnic baskets, the hot dogs, the extra napkins like all that has this beautiful nostalgic feel to it but it's tainted by the violent american dream and then of course the final line is freaking amazing happy fourth of july america i love that um sarcasm of that 
and well-deserved because like, come on people, but you captured the insanity of the situation with so much clarity and grace. Thank so powerful. you. Um, two more questions. I wanted to ask you, I always ask about if you can so think about this, let's do this question second, advice you would have for other writers when they get stuck writing or they're just stuck with that blank page at the beginning and like don't know what to write about but before that I want to hear if you have like if tomorrow you got an opportunity to give a speech to the whole world on this topic what would be like the main thing that you would want them to to understand if you could actually be heard I feel like young people do not get heard enough they have so many especially young women are so brilliant so wise so insightful and people are not listening so if people were listening what would you say um well I would hopefully articulate it better than I'm sure I probably will now but I think just the idea that people responsible for our current legislation when they were in high school this wasn't really real and so I don't think there's obviously like the absence of any like real fear or like awareness of what it might feel like, um, you know, to go to school and see like a police car, you know, and like wonder why it's there or, you know, to look at the door and wonder like, what would I do if someone came in or, you know, I'm taking an AP test and like my table is like the one closest to the door. Like, is that good or is that bad? And I think we don't really think about thinking about those thoughts. What is that? It's like that metacognition. They just kind of are. And they've been there for, I don't really know how long. And it's not like you ever say them out loud. It's almost just like a routine to think about stuff like that. And I think that's, of course, like the very heart of the problem. And, you know, it's obviously not an issue that belongs solely to schools. We see it, you know, in public and all over the news, malls, shopping centers, homes, parks, you know, so many like public spaces that we value and that we like share as communities. And so I think that's what's the saddest to me as an American citizen, because I won't be in high school forever. You know, I'll only be there for a couple more weeks, but I will continue to belong to spaces like those. And I'll continue to be there, you know, for the rest of my life. And so I don't get to graduate gun violence. I get to graduate school, but that's not something that I get to leave behind as an American. And so I would hope that that's something that we as a country could seem to understand more or at least appear to show more consideration and sympathy towards. God, you are so eloquent, Erin, that like everything you said, um, like you'd written it in advance, but especially that line, I don't get to graduate from gun violence. God, it's really good. Really powerful line. But yeah, because that, that everyone who is your age and a couple years older has as living with this reality that people in my generation and older cannot fathom. And so I love that 
I mean, now I can fathom it going out in public, but I can't fathom what that was like in school. It's hard enough that you have to take an AP test. And then also on top of that stress of school, also be thinking about how close I am to the door and an exit. And will I survive it? That's like so unfair. So I love that you said that about sympathy and empathy for human beings. That's what we need more leaders like you in the world. Um, thank you for your thoughts on that. And on a happy note, <laughs> I would love your advice to um, other young writers with struggles with the blank page and or just getting started. How do you go forward and write when you get stuck? Usually I try to go back to like a topic that's familiar to me or something that I know I can write about. Usually imagery of like nature or something that has a lot to, to think about, like a topic that you can't really run dry. So I think that's like, that probably looks different for everyone. Um, but something as simple as like describing a setting or a season or something like that. I think that's one option. And then tapping into current events is another. And then I think we talk about this in class sometimes, but creating a character and like then hopefully like the plot for that character follows like the creation of the character. So I think those three things are always really helpful. Sometimes I go back to old work because I have everything in the same notebook. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's like, I don't think anyone ever can like predict writer's block. Um, so it's like, obviously it's frustrating when it happens and you're just sitting there staring. But I think it's kind of nice time sometimes to just be able to sit there and look at a page. Mm. That's so helpful I think for everyone to understand that and part of it is it's almost like a, this is why I feel like writing can be sort of similar to meditation because sometimes you just sit there and you just your mind is blank and that's good most I think we're so driven to be feel like we have to be productive and efficient and fast we panic if we don't immediately have an idea or don't immediately know where the story is going but actually I love how you said that that it can be nice to just sit there and like let let your ha let there be nothing and then just notice like the first little cloud of a thought that drifts over and follow it and see what happens and not be rushed about it do you feel like it helps like do you i know in class we usually have a, a larger chunk of time but do you find time is the thing that you need the most in terms of writing like if somebody says write for 10 minutes versus they give you an hour does time help with that, coming up with ideas? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because you can sit there. You can noodle on it and yeah. not have to be. Um, and I also want to mention, because you're one of the few people who is um, multi-talented in the writing, in terms of writing genre. Most of us have one genre that we're more comfortable with. You write exceptional fiction and nonfiction and poetry. Um, when you write fiction it's a would you say that it's a different process from nonfiction, or is it it's all the same it's just how it comes out um I think it is different I mean once it feels like once 
I get a story going or I have an idea for it, it like buys me a month or two of, of class time almost because it's something you can build on. And like a poem, which is usually like a one class activity, maybe two, you know, like I'm going to go back to the drawing board pretty soon. So writing fiction and like coming up with an idea is maybe like a little bit more rewarding just because it carries on for longer and you get to like keep coming back to it. So, you know, you have maybe one class where you spend the whole class thinking about a story that you want to write. But once you have it, you don't have to stare at that blank page for <laughs> a while. Hey, that's a good point. Fiction is more building things sort of upfront, thinking about character and structure, and then it starts filling itself in. I also like what you said about um, like just finding an interesting character and going with that. Cause you're right. Like that's the thing. If um, character determines plot, like I mean, the, our character is destiny is that famous quote. So when you know what the character wants and what they're going for, the plot kind of falls out of that. It's just like, well, of course, if they want this, this is going to happen and there's going to be conflicts. If a young writer came up to you and asked you, what is the most helpful thing that you've learned in your writing experience to write fluidly and easily? What would that be? What was the sing what's the single most helpful thing to be a writer? Single most. Hmm. Well, so I think obviously a a basic foundation for like grammar and language, which is something that I most people just seem to pick up as they go through school. Um, but overall I would say confidence and having like a surety of like your voice and what you want to say I don't like reading my own writing sometimes I don't like going back to it because I mean it's kind of like looking at pictures of yourself sometimes or you know athletes analyzing highlights right it's like it's really easy to focus when you know you gave the ball up so I I still struggle with that kind of a lot with writing because it also feels like you're maybe at, like you're most vulnerable when you're writing something like the poem that we read today so being able to feel confident in your voice and what you're writing about and also understanding that writing is just so so valuable like I mean I would encourage everyone to write and feel confident writing just because like it is something that I will use like for the rest of my life, like regardless of what I end up doing. And I think that's what I've enjoyed so much with this program is that, you know, I use things from the intuitive writing project every day, even though I don't write creatively every day, but it's kind of everywhere in my life from just emails to papers, to presentations, it's just everywhere. And so going through that like with the confidence of voice is key I think that is so beautiful thank you for saying that about the program and I just want to clar clarify when I think when you're saying confidence in your voice is it the feeling is it the knowing that of course I'm constantly drilling into everybody that what you have to say is important and that what's inside of you needs to come out 
or is it um because confidence is such a slow process like i'm still working on it probably we all work on it over a lifetime but do you feel like it's that now you know because you've been writing every week for so long that there's gonna trust that what comes up and what comes out is valid something yes that i mean we talk in school sometimes about like your writing voice which of course is just your voice in words. And I think what I've learned is just in general, like people tend to appreciate when they can hear someone's voice and like their personality. And like, I think that's confidence. So I think it's yes to both, but it's just understanding that like we're all our own harshest critics. So like a lot of the times, like it's that, And it kind of acts as like a filter from ideas coming out onto the page. I think like we subconsciously just like cross them off the list before they even like fully form in our brains. And like, who knows, like what good ideas my brain is hiding from me (laughs) (laughs) because it doesn't think that they're good enough, but just like allowing them to come out, even if you don't end up liking them in the long run. I love that. I love that line. Who knows what good ideas my brain is hiding from me? That should be a t-shirt. That's really good. That is the essence of it. It's like trust. If what you were saying is about authenticity, your authentic way of speaking people, of course, everyone responds to that. And if we don't let our brains edit it out and get, keep us from saying it, it's going to actually land so much better than we think it is. So yes, confidence, knowing that like, you got good stuff in there and you just got to let it flow out and we can always edit later, but get it on the page. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Erin, you are such a great mind, a great writer, a great human being. It is always a great pleasure and honor to talk with you. Thank you so much for your time today and for talking about writing and just for all the years of creativity that you have brought to our lives. And I'm so proud of you. Congratulations on graduating in a few weeks. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this.